Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And today we have a wonderful guest who's going to be joining us talking about some really important things that we, I believe... We don't talk about enough. I mean, we've seen a lot of things uh, in the news. We've heard stories about health disparities, implicit bias, how it impacts uh, the care that people receive. And at the end of the day, most of us who are listening, which are healthcare providers, we want to provide the best care possible for our patients, right? And some of the things we know, some things we don't know, some things we need to be reminded of. So today I have Dr. Raj Sundar who is a family physician and a community organizer and just overall passionate about helping people to become better providers, especially when it comes to uh, cultural care and things that we need to know so we can provide the best care. Um, so please welcome him to the show. Hi, Dr. Raj. How are you? Hi, Alice. Thanks for having me here today. I am so excited. Oh, and I forgot to mention, guys, he's also the host of the podcast Healthcare for Humans. First, Dr. Raj, tell us a little bit about yourself. People love hearing what we're going to talk about, but they also like to know the story behind the person who's talking. So fill us in on yourself. I think I like to start back with my grandfather. And I've realized that's actually where my story starts because, you know, I actually grew up for part of my life in this small village in South India, a place called Tamil Nadu. And a lot of people actually, when they speak of India, they talk of North India because that's just well, a lot of people here are North Indians in the U.S., but I grew up in a small village there, and my grandfather spent his whole life there. Thatched huts, you know, bare feet, cows, chickens. Like, that was the life they lived. And it was a life of poverty and that they would go to bed hungry, right? And I would hear about these stories, but I, I didn't experience it. But what my grandfather wanted was his whole family to become doctors. There is like a narrative of Indians being doctors, but the sto my story is that my grandfather decided we we're all going to be doctors because that's how we're going to achieve some stability in our life and not suffer as much as we did. So he made my dad and my mom, because actually they were in the same village, get up at 5 a.m. and study until they got into medical schools and they became doctors. But so did my cousins, so did my aunt, so did my uncles. So when I was growing up, the question they would ask me is, what kind of doctor did you want to be when you grow up? I didn't realize that wasn't the question that most kids got when they were growing up. But that became my story in that I was brought into this family trade of becoming a doctor. And then I chose to be a primary care clinician. And then my story has evolved from there because I knew I was placed in this. It was almost like arranged marriage with medicine, to use that metaphor. And then I had to find myself in this career of figuring out what it means for me to provide the care that I want to provide and the impact that I want to make for the patients and for the communities that I'm part of. And that what, that's what led me to becoming a primary care doctor, because I just, I mean, this is also something we hear about so much, right, Alice, about like most of health is not determined by healthcare. 
It's about the places where we live and the systems that we're part of, the jobs that we hold, the money we have, the generational wealth, which is often depending on race. All of this affects health way, way more than we uh, ever imagined to be or ever acknowledged it to be. So I chose to become a primary care clinician. And then I, I found that I wasn't providing the care that I wanted to. And I kept getting stuck in caring for the people in the way that I wanted to because the healthcare paradigm often reduces people to organ systems. And then we're treating that organ system. And then once we get that better, everything's better, right? And that just didn't work out, right? And we all know that. I mean, your listeners probably know. It's often, it's insufficient and inadequate to really get people back to where they were healthy or keep them healthy. Yeah, you raised some really good points. And I'll say this. So, and I'm in the emergency room. And just to remind you, uh, our listeners, so when you said you were asked the question, uh, what kind of doctor do you want to be when you grow up? I'm half Filipino. And so in in that culture, it's usually you're going to be a nurse or you're going to be a teacher. One of the two. So it was almost like, so do you want to be a nurse or do you want to be a teacher? And at the time, I wanted to be an accountant, guys, to be honest. But, you know, but the way my life worked out, I actually was drawn to nursing, didn't even realize it. But, you know, when I got into nursing, I very much saw some of the things that you were doing. Like you want to take care of the patient, but it's almost things were fragmented. Like you said, like, okay, there's the primary, then, oh, there's an arrhythmia. Call the cardiologist. Oh, their their stomach's hurting, they're vomiting, or they're having some coffee ground emphasis. Get GI on the case. And we fragment everything. When this is a real whole life, one person, guys, we can't like chop this person up and think like, well, I'm going to fix this little piece and expect everything to be okay and expect for them to get discharged. And voila, they're healthy. They're fine. Because healthcare, I actually think it's more like sick care. They come to us when they're sick. We provide care to them, but really how they're going to stay healthy and stay well and sustain themselves really is dependent so much on where they uh, work, sleep, pray, all of those things, like their home environment. That's really a lot of what we need to fix, but that we can't necessarily fix in the hospital. So I think that's where the dilemma is. So that's a very interesting story. Now, okay, so you discovered, Raj, you discovered that you're not taking care of the people the way you would like to take care of them. So what did you do? Did something change in you? Was there a switch that flipped? Did you decide like, hey, I'm going to come up with this podcast to help people uh, help raise awareness on this? I know the podcast is part of the work. We'll, we'll talk about that. But I think it is a good question because I feel like we all have this feeling, right? Because we're all part of this large, large, large system in society. And we're often like just such a small part of it that like, we feel like we're like cogs in this whole machine, right? Even when um, we want to do better, we want to change things. And I think the answer for everybody's probably different. But for me, it's like I kept seeing these patients that I couldn't help with the current healthcare system, right? It could be because of what we now call the social determinants of health or social needs, right? Like, hey, like if you were able to take this insulin, your diabetes would be under control and, you know, we could prevent the hospitalization. But hey, like, I can't afford the insulin. Now what? Okay. Or like, I'm really depressed. I can't leave this trailer that I'm in. I'm in rural, uh, I'm in this rural area and I can't drive because I have seizures and I just can't get the help that I need. Now what? Right. Like these, the now what question always came to me of like, there was nothing I could do in that moment. And at the same time, I was in this story of like just climbing and achieving these milestones of like becoming a doctor. And for me, that same question came up because like every time you achieve something, and I think people have this feeling too, 
the next day you wake up and like, okay, like now what? Like I got into medical school. Okay. I got into residency. And then you like keep moving the goals because that's what you were working so hard for. But then after you get it, like inherently isn't purposeful or meaningful. Right. So I had that question I was trying to answer for myself. You know, I had my own spiritual journey, but the idea that really resonated with me that helped me feel like more, I'll say grounded with my own values and what I wanted to be in this world was trying to address these larger issues. Even if I couldn't change it all by myself, I was going to be part of this work because I couldn't abandon it. You know, I do some work in advocacy about just changing healthcare organizations and making them more equitable. And that's a whole whole nother episode probably of like what prevents it from happening, what we can do. Without the systems change though, like I still have to show up to my work every day, at least like 15 to 20 minute visits and care for my patients. And the system wasn't changing. I wanted to change it. I was trying to make a change, but some of these things remain the same. And I wanted to see like within that constraint, like, could I be better in the, in the small ways that people are, were always letting other people down, especially when they're different, right? And I would ask you a question, Alice, like, because I hear this a lot, you know, that patients come to wherever, the hospital, the clinic, and they often feel like they're not heard or seen or listened to. So a lot of people want people that look like them, right? And I want, I'm curious, like, is that an experience for you? Like, have you noticed a difference? Absolutely. And here's the interesting thing, because I'm because I am black and Filipino. And also I speak Spanish. So if, I think <laughs> I know, guys, You're really uh, confusing people. I, <laughs> well, I you know, I and here's the thing. I learned such er, so early on the significance of feeling heard, listened to and also speak Tagalog and Kapampangan. So anyway, guys, I'm I speak of these other languages. And so when I was a young girl, I would translate from my mom, my aunties and things like that. And I just saw how hard it is to navigate in this world, how frustrating it is. If you can't understand something, if you know, whether it's you can't understand the by reading, writing or hearing, like it really causes a lot of blockades in your life for being successful physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, all of these things. So when I finally got into healthcare, same thing. If you couldn't communicate, you'd miss vital and critical information. You'd significantly derail on going down the right clinical pathway for caring for your patients. And so when patients would come in, I would get a lot of patients who come in, a lot of black patients and say, you know, I really want a black provider. And then let's say someone who's Filipino came in, like, okay, they would like a Filipino provider, but if not, someone who understands the cultures or the customs or the foods or the challenges that they're going through. So like when I would do patient education, we're talking about diet. I wouldn't just say, oh, no salt in your diet, no patis, no soy sauce, uh, and all of the foods and delicacies that they would eat. And they would look at me with a smile, like, finally, someone who gets it. And even though I'm not Hispanic, and now mind you, I would get an official translator for when I didn't understand or I needed to get consent and things like that. But in the in the assessment, in the conversational piece, speaking their language, it like built a trust, a comfort that allowed them to open up to me. And I think that's what people want. They they go for people who, who look like them because, you know, the general understanding is, oh, you look like me, you must know my experience and how I feel. And sometimes we're not able to meet those accommodations because we don't have, has, maybe we don't have Hispanic providers that day. We don't have Black providers that day. So, but when someone can go in who understands the, and has, can empathize with the cultural 
historical, cultural background and challenges that someone has to go through. I think that's what they aspire, patients want from their from their providers to feel understood, to feel heard. Because, you know, sometimes people will walk away from their visits and say, yeah, the doctor gave me this prescription, but they don't understand. I'm not taking this. And, and it's like, okay, we've defeated the purpose. We got them there to the clinic or to the emergency room for care. But having those barriers and culturally understanding someone really is a dilemma. So yeah, I've had several people and patients come to me looking like, do you know a black OBGYN? Do you know a Filipino ophthalmologist? And some people will argue though. Some people who are not of those cultural argue says, well, a doctor or a nurse, you know, we're going to provide care for them. We can do the task oriented things. We can, uh, you know, look at the science and the numbers and treat numbers, but we don't treat numbers, we treat patients. And I think that's one of the things that's so, so important that we as providers need to understand. It's no shades, no discs. It's not that they don't personally like you. It's just that there's many people, especially different cultures, backgrounds, religions, and speak different languages. They just want to make sure that whoever they're spilling their beans to their lives, whoever lives their hands are sitting in, they want to make sure that they feel understood. Yeah, exactly. Right. So this is such a known thing. And let's be honest, like I'm an Indian American. There's like 14% of doctors are Indian. There's a tons of them, right? And oftentimes I was stuck in the same way that you're saying is that I felt like I personally wasn't connecting with my patient because I didn't understand their background or culture. And I, I think they're probably leaving feeling like, man, like I waited for so long for this appointment and he doesn't really get it. And feeling disappointed they can't find somebody who's Filipino, somebody who's really black, right? Not just a uh, dark skinned uh, male doctor, right? Somebody who really gets their experience. And I was feeling stuck in that same way. But when I was trying to be better about it, I think the resources that existed fell into this like idea of cultural competency. And I think people have people know that term too. They probably heard it in school. And Alice, have you you've probably heard that too in education, right? Yeah, they uh, do annual training on cultural competency that people just click, 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 click through the module and they don't really absorb the information. So exactly. you can check a box, but how are we actually improving the care that we provide? Exactly. And the cultural competency, the idea of its itself is a little problematic because one, it's like, seems like a checkbox, right? Hey, I'm competent on the Filipino culture. Done. Now I'm good to take care of Filipinos, right? Uh, or it's like kind of stereotypical. You're like, Filipinos believe in blank, blank, and blank. And like, that that's not exactly the message that you're going for. That's not what patients are hoping you know. Like, we have these three values. Or third, it's like othering. It's like, hey, I'm the normal person here. Let me study these exotic other people and understand what they're about. So then I can convince them to believe in what I'm offering them, like taking this medication, right? This weird, like, I'm getting competent, quote unquote, in this culture. So then I can overcome their values and beliefs and get really like uh, nuanced in the recommendation that I want to give them. So they listen to me, right? That's like pat- patriarchal part of that, the, the paradigm that exists too. I kept running into that. And I, and then I realized, you know, this other question that you're asking, like, how do we make the change we want? I think you've talked about this in other, other um, episodes and um, interviews, but for me, it was really being clear about my values. And I really, really loved creating, connecting, learning, and growing, right? I loved creating new things. I loved connecting with folks like in the community, talking with them and learning that way. 
and then really learning and um, growing in a way that I was sharing what I was learning with others. And I found that voice and conversation capture people's culture and like what they really wanted people to know, like what they wish their doctors knew. So they felt that feeling, even if you don't look like me, even if you don't speak my language, hey, like I wish you knew this. So then I would feel more comfortable, as you said, spilling my beans, like about all the things that are bothering me and like all these secrets that I feel ashamed of or things that are not working in my body. What do I wish they knew? And I felt like the only way to get that was actually talk directly to the people in the community about it. And I, I got into podcast house because I listen to podcasts a lot because I have two kids. I don't think we should, I don't share this with you, but I have a two, two and a half year old now and 12 month old. So there's just a lot of things to do, a lot of chores. So I listened to podcasts while doing the dishes and such a podcast person. And I realized, man, like I learned a lot through this and it's a good way of like capturing the nuance like about what what I'm feeling and capturing the intonations of the voice to really understand, hey, like this is important to me and this is how I'm let down, not this like module on cultural competency. And I found it was really helpful for me. I think storytelling is an excellent way to learn listening to people talk about their experiences because it captures the nuances. So it's not like you can go to a any one book, even if you read three books and figure like, oh, I, I understand this culture. Like, I know it all now. No, you've read some books. That's great. It's a great start. But you really got to talk to, you got to talk to people. You got to listen. Um, and I think listening to people, you can really hear and learn from those experiences in a way that you can't from just uh, reading in a book. We're all social beings, right? At the end of the day. Absolutely. So, in the work that you do, because I've also checked out your podcast as well. So you get to talk, you've talked to people of different cultural backgrounds. Now, I'm just going to back up a little bit. So when I take care of patients, usually at any, and again, I'm in the ER guy. So at any, any given day, I can get anyone to come into the emergency room. They're emergencies, right? These aren't necessarily things that are planned. And because of that, you know, we never know who EMS is bringing and we've had people from all different walks of life, economical backgrounds, language, religions, all kinds of things. So in the ER, we kind of see a lot of everything. And sometimes it's hard to be so well versed with all of these different cultures and languages. And you want to, but it can be overwhelming sometimes. So and I and I've actually noticed a gap in one of like in a in a group and and I'm just going to be totally transparent guys because this is how you guys learn and you know we all have our areas of opportunity where we have opportunities to learn more but in the Asian culture like when someone comes in like I've had I've been endorsed like oh this person is Chinese speaking and they, oh no well they're Mandarin speaking oh well then they're this and they're that and I don't really understand or know all of the the different dialects all about the culture enough to know and sometimes I'm embarrassed I'm embarrassed when I go in front of my patients and I don't know these things because I feel like it limits me and renders me a little bit powerless sometimes as a provider. So, Raj, I mean, have you ever experienced something like that? Or like, how do you overcome those type of things? Or what, what is your advice, I guess, to healthcare professionals who, who find themselves in those type of situations? Alice, I experience it all the time, right? That's my constant growth is trying to like, see how can I be better with the limited knowledge that I have, maybe the limited time too. And I'll, maybe I'll use a few examples of things that I have messed up in the past and what I've talked to community leaders about. You know, I think it was in the 
Hawaiian episode, uh, in Pacific Islander episode, maybe. There's, uh, I work in a place where there is a large Native Hawaiian community. And I did feel shame because what I learned in that episode, we talked about how clinicians introduce themselves to people who are Native Hawaiian. And Miley Taoli brought up, hey, like, this is thing happens. This is, there's this thing that happens all the time. People walk into the room and they want to build rapport, like with me or with my community. And they think about the first thing they can build rapport with. And they say, Hawaii, right? Hey, like I went to vacation in Hawaii. Maybe that's what I'm going to bring up and talk about this place that I went to. And then she goes, you know, like that may be the exact opposite thing that you want to say, trying to build rapport, because listen, what you need to know is the context of the community, because a lot of us came here to this state because we were kicked out of Hawaii because it was too expensive and tourism was the reason it became too expensive. And some of us haven't even gone back to visit our family in like a decade because it's not affordable. And here you are parading into the room talking about how you just took a vacation. And now I'm not going to talk back to you because now I have to actually tell you about the thing that's bothering me and you have to feel comfortable with me. But automatically, like you've done the opposite thing of building rapport and it's going to be hard to build that trust from that moment, right? It was such a small moment and I have probably done that too. And something that I hadn't thought about, but as you said, it's like knowing the history and the cultural context, make sure that you don't do things that's going to actively uh, make it feel unsafe. And then two, maybe you ask better questions because the takeaway message wasn't that, hey, like I'm never going to tell anybody I went to Hawaii. It's that this exists, right? So maybe a better approach is, hey, like where do you call home? And have you been back there uh, recently? Uh, and then if they say, yeah, I go back there all the time. I, you know, I just visited a few weeks ago. Then there, maybe there's a moment of connection there. Or maybe you actually get what I just shared where they're like, yeah, I haven't been back in so long. It's just hard for me to. Th- those are that's great suggestions. And I was thinking when you were saying that, I was thinking like, Alice, how do you, I was reflecting, how do I introduce myself? And I, but I do always ask patients. I said, I don't assume that everyone who looks Hispanic is from, you know, speaks the language. I don't make these assumptions. I just, I ask the questions like, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I allow them to tell the story because then they feel like they're telling me something and I actually am paying attention to them. I'm not multitasking with my back to them, but I'm at l- listening. So I can, because usually when someone talks long enough, you can learn a lot from them, right? And then it gives you an opportunity to kind of focus or fine tune and ask follow-up questions. So you can learn more about your patient but I like what you just said. Don't just come and say, oh, I went to Hawaii because, gosh, how insulting is that? Like, well, you're the reason why I can't go back because you're part of the tourism problem. That's like, <laughs> exactly. that's no way to do it. No. Yeah. And there's like layers to, as you said, we don't want to be biased to, right? Like we don't want to walk in and say Native Hawaiians, you know, want to connect this way. We want to ask better questions. And I think you already naturally do that. And sometimes, you know, we have to document so much, so we're not leaving space for it. But it is like having a little bit of knowledge just make sure you ask better questions. Yes, ask better questions. Now, I want to uh, pivot a little bit into, especially with COVID that happened. We knew that healthcare had issues. Uh, you know, we're from where many of us are familiar with health disparities, but even sometimes, like we're very conscious providers right now. We're we're talking about how to be better. What can we do? How to connect with our patients? We have some colleagues. Let's just put it out there, guys. I'll put it in the room that they're that they think they know everything, and that like perhaps. That's that doesn't matter. They have a heart. I know how to take care of a heart. And this is what I got to do. Sinus rhythm, sinus tap here, you know, blood pressure. Medic. Like they're just so just focused on Western medicine and science that they almost kind of are oblivious 
to how culture and race and those type of things can actually influence care. Uh, they'll just come in, they'll just say, oh, patient was non-compliant with their medications and this is why they're now in DKA or, you know, they just kind of just run, just run with things and don't really, I'm saying appreciate how, how, all, how that can influence the care that someone's in. How do you deal with providers like that, Raj? And you're hopefully you don't work with anyone like that. No, what, but, yeah. Should I call people out yeah, here? Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, but what do you do when you encounter someone, a provider, doctor, nurse, clerical person, <laughs> you know, anyone? I know it's like the third implicit bias training that we're doing and you still don't get it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> right. We're still talking about microaggressions. So this is a, a problem, right? Everybody faces. And this is, I'm certainly no expert. I just found my approach, the work that, the approach that has worked for me at least to make a little bit of progress is that I still don't judge or shame the person because it's so easy to, because I do have, the, you know, the way I reacted was for a reason. I'm like, wow, like you still don't get implicit bias. <laughs> like, and like, I automatically have this negative, uh, just feeling about this person in front of me. And I have to like check, check that within myself because but you recognize it to check it, though. See, that's yeah. the key. You yeah. got to be able to recognize these things. I know. So as so just the, for me, like a lot of it's just self-work. And then I have to, again, because I think all of us doing this work can get really burnt out if we're just focusing on these people who don't get it and we have to have the same conversations. So I think about, like, how important is it for me to engage right now, right? Because... This is part of my, this is my colleague in this clinic and I'm taking care of the same patients with them and I want my patients to get the best care. So like we're in this together, so I need to bring them along somehow. Or like, do I not have the relationship with them? Is there somebody else that or that's like close to me? Like, can I get, bring them in? So there's some strategy here just for self, I say preservation about this. But then ultimately, if I choose to engage, there's really not many ways to get people where you want them to be to really understand what health means other than like data and stories, right? Those are the two things. So then I try to do that strategically and intentionally uh, because you have to let them hear it from the patient themselves or the community, like over and over. Yeah, I know you think like my heart's the only thing that matters, but listen, like this is what makes it hard for me and like hear it directly from them. I'm not the messenger, but like find ways for them to hear from the people they're taking care of directly to share that with them. And then two, show the data, which I think there's so much out there and some misinformation too. So having a trusted source that we both trust and then reviewing the information that way to also bring that part of the mind into the play of like the analytical objective uh, argument that people always bring into that, right? Like, hey, we're Western medicine, science. We only focus on what we know and data. Exactly. And and I'll just share. So I I encountered this. I encounter this more often than I would like to. I would say that. And I think people get so caught up in the the busyness of healthcare, guys. I I do realize many places we're still understaffed, under resourced, and we have such a large population of people that we need to care for. And I don't get it. Y'all are tired. I get. It. I'm tired too. But if we don't consider these things, we actually could be working harder. Um, because again, if you, if we're, if we can't build this trust and rapport with our patients, we're not going to get the information we need. We're going to miss diagnosis, under diagnosis, and we're, we're going to perpetuate the cycle. But as a reminder, although I know many of you guys know this already, I just want to say it because we might have some, some people who are newer to healthcare or may not be as aware. Implicit bias 
it's something that's subconscious. So it refers to the attitudes and stereotypes that affect our understanding, actions and decisions in an unconscious manner. Because I work in the ER, uh, we'll get, sometimes people will come in. I'm just going to give an example. Someone will come in, um, perhaps they look, let's say they're African-American and they look, they're disheveled. Sometimes, and they'll, and they'll come in, they'll say, oh, I'm having a lot of pain. This actually might, and they have a history of sickle cell. This actually truly indeed may be someone who's in sickle cell crisis who does need intervention, fluids, pain medication, all of these other things. But subconsciously, and depending on what you've been exposed to and a, a whole slew of other things, you might say, oh, this person's just drug seeking. Those are the things that, you know, that's just a, a, a very short, brief example. There are a lot of other better examples, but that's something where when I hear people in the ER say, oh, they're just drug seeking, my antennas go up, up, up. I'm like, what's happening? Why? What would make you say that? What would make you say that, you know, especially if this is someone you've never seen before? Now, I understand that sometimes there, there are patients who are indeed drug users who frequent the ER and you see this pattern. So you've come to know this person over several, several visits, but still each and every visit uniquely, something could still be wrong with them and it deserves exploration. So I hear people say that. And so it's just kind of this bias you just assume. And I think in healthcare, Raj, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes we use bias to our benefits, like some, oh, elderly male, black has his, you know, history of hypertension. You assume, you know, we kind of start going down a certain particular algorithm of a diagnosis. And I think that's some of the beauty in healthcare. But sometimes these biases, they don't behave. They're, they're, they don't work right. They don't, they're, they're a gift and a curse, many times a curse. But, you know, we kind of jump to conclusions about things when we've not really explored the full clinical picture about what's going on. And I think a lot of that, sometimes we do it because we think we're doing the right thing. I think people, I think sometimes people think, really think they're doing the right thing by jumping, like jumping over and like cheating, not cheating, like cutting some corners and just jumping to something versus really listening to this person and hearing them out, connecting with them, making sure that they are truly receiving all the information they need before they take care of a patient. So I think people have heard the term implicit bias, but some of them may not really be aware that they have implicit bias. And I would say, I've thought about this so much too, you know, is we all take shortcuts. So actually implicit bias is when you have hold these biases and judge someone negatively and you don't even realize it and it causes a negative outcome. But there's like another word called heuristic. It's like a cognitive shortcut, as you're saying, like, elderly male, so they're probably, their likelihood of this disease is higher. So shortcuts to get to the right, I'll say, diagnosis. So when you're right, they call it heuristic. When you're wrong and it's negative, it's like bias, right? So it's like our, as humans, we just find pattern and then repeat them, and then we stop thinking about this. So both exist, and I think implicit bias does cause harm still. And I think people out there are researching, and you know, people can talk probably for a while about how do you address implicit bias? There's no easy way. And I think a lot of it's, as you're talking about, like taking your time and being slow and people are probably rolling their eyes listening to this, like, oh, like in our healthcare system in the ED, you want to take my time? I know. That's what <laughs> you know I am. So I, I, it's like we have to acknowledge the complexity of it and it's difficult, but it doesn't take away from the fact that implicit bias causes harm and people should acknowledge that and we should all be on the same page of that. I think what frustrates me more is not people who've never heard of it, not people who didn't get like full understanding of it. So they're so confused as people like who've heard it multiple times and then choose not to believe it. 
and then perpetuate the harm, right? So that is, I think, where I struggle the most. Yeah, that's really hard. And so we we have a lot of work to do. And but I think telling stories like this and you know talking to our colleagues in a safe space that is something that's been a big a big help. Now, do I know how we're going to resolve this and eliminate implicit bias? I don't know if that's going to be in my lifetime, but I would hope it would be. I really hope it would be because in healthcare, I think sometimes you know we see all of these events happening on the news, and we think of all of the social injustices that are happening with other disciplines. Sometimes it's hard to turn around and look at our own professions or our healthcare systems and clinics and think that some of those same things could be happening where we work. And I think part of the reason why I was really excited to talk to you about this is to kind of just keep the conversation going. Hopefully this type of conversation has started elsewhere, guys, but if not, it's starting here. And we'd like to like keep this conversation going so it's on the forefront because when we don't talk about it, out of sight, out of mind. And I think it's really important that every day we strive to have conversations uh, amongst ourselves as providers that will help open our eyes a little bit more, help us to be more patient, help help us to be more active listeners and incorporate that information in the care that we provide. And also increase, I want to increase my knowledge and my understanding of different cultures and places and lands I've never been and may, may not ever get to go to or experiences that I've never experienced. I really want to understand and appreciate that my patients have gone through those things because that's going to significantly impact how much they trust me, how much they're going to follow through on their the plan of care. And then I also, I as a healthcare provider need to understand that because of their experiences, sometimes the goals that we have aren't necessarily the goals that they want to have for themselves. So also understanding that part of it too. I know. And I would add two things maybe. I think one is like, it can be like an antidote to burnout. Not completely. Burnout is so complicated, right? We're, we've all experienced it. Some more than others, depending on your setting. And this isn't going to cure it, but when you can really connect with somebody, that can be so meaningful in your busy day. Because why are we in this work, right? Because we want to care for patients. We also want to connect with each other, including colleagues. And I felt like the more I understood cultures, even though I think you brought up earlier, like, well, like there's so many dialects, this person's Chinese, but like what? There's just so, it's so overwhelming. But just like having a foundational knowledge about a culture can be so helpful in the historical context too, right? It's like another example is the Pacific Islander community. I'll just use that just because uh, I think it's a salient one is that as you talked about the ER example, and I, I had the Joseph Sayers share this, that sometimes like when he goes to the clinic or, or when people go to the ER, like all they see of him or the community is a fat body and they judge him for their body size. They blame him or shame them and don't treat them with respect and actually care for the complaint they came in. And they're missing a few things there. There's part of the implicit bias, right? Like, hey, like this person's large body is fat, must not be taking care of themselves. It's their fault kind of thing. But there's so many layers to this. Like historically, their Pacific Islanders specifically came from a community that their food environment has been demolished by colonialism, like replaced by spam and excess turkey tail from all these other countries who just dumped all this food there. So you, they can't eat their native food. And then they come to a different place like the U.S. and they still can't get their native food and they're struggling to make ends meet because they don't have a good social safety support because they're target. They're like recruited from like Marshall Islands to work in these chicken factories, but they're not eligible for Medicaid. At least they weren't, especially since the welfare reform by Bill Clinton. See, I know this, right? They didn't have the social support. So there's so many factors going into why it's hard for them to eat the food they want, have the space and time for movement, right? 
And then they come into this one moment and all they get is people judging them. So I think it's just, it gives us a better starting point for empathy and compassion too, just understanding people's situations. And then I think the, as I said, the burnout priest, it's like a small antidote because like I have a moment of connection. Like I know you've suffered this in the past, but I understand there's so much here and I'm not going to do that to you. And that is a, such a great starting point to just building trust. Right. And I think you raised so many good points. And this is why people have definitely got to check out your podcast, Healthcare for Humans, because I've actually listened to several episodes and I've learned a lot about the different cultures. So guys, you know, it's been so great having Dr. Raj on here talking to us about this. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more to learn. And I always say this, even if you don't know, you don't have, no one knows everything, right? No one knows everything, but understand where your limitations are. Right. If there's something that you're not familiar with or you don't understand, you don't know as much about this culture, it's okay to say that you you don't. But, you know, I think where we as healthcare providers, if you're going to be taking care of people in this community, you know, you need to do your due diligence and start learning about it. And, you know, one patient at a time, I think, is is a great starting point. And then so listening to his podcast, Healthcare for Humans, you can learn so much more about the different cultures there. So, Raj, it's been a pleasure having you on before you go. Let people know where they can go to follow you and hear more about what you're working on and what you're doing. Yeah, the best place to reach me is healthcareforhumans.org. And there's a contact me there too. Okay, wonderful. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. This has been another great episode in the can. I love it. And this is one that, although you know, m- we're, most of us who are listening are healthcare providers, this is something that we can also spill over and take into our personal lives to just be better humans, better neighbors to people in the community. Our our community needs a lot of loving right now, a lot of things going on. And I think by understanding others better, we can have more compassion, empathy, and kindness and make this world truly a better place one human at a time. But thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'm Nurse Alice. Shout out to Nurse.org for hosting the podcast. Without them, this would not be possible. Make sure to check out the website at Nurse.org and follow them on all things social. I'm Alice. I've always loved chatting with you guys. Um, you can follow me on social at uh, Ask Nurse Alice, everything social. Uh, I'm not quite the TikToker yet, but I'm getting there, guys. And if you have any questions or comments about this show or suggestions for future shows, you can also email me at nursealice at nurse.org and check this out. You can send us a voicemail or send us a text message at 725-910-9676. We'd love to hear from you there. Otherwise, please leave uh, a rating, a comment on your favorite podcast platform, wherever you're listening to this, and share this with a friend, colleague, classmate, or just someone in your neighborhood and your family, someone who you think would benefit from this. Until next time, guys, please, please, please make good choices. Be kind to one another and live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.